morning I'm beginning a series in the book of John. I was reminded recently of the uh, uniqueness of the book of John. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It stands dramatically apart from the rest. And recently I did a study to find out how it was different. What made it different? And as I did so, I was so blessed. And so I want to share with you a little of what I've learned. And today, <clears throat> today may be a little more, a little more teaching as I kind of set the table for the series. I want to introduce you to the, uh, the point of view from John's perspective. There were some differences that God allowed John to experience that put him in a unique position, that he could see the establishment of the church where others could not. And so we'll discuss that and show you in the next few minutes um, how God prepared John to give us a perspective that only he could give us. In verse 14 of the first chapter of John, It reads, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This morning I want to bring a message called John's Point of View Introduced. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your blessing, and thank you, Lord, for this amazing gospel. And I pray that, Spirit of God, that you will meet with us and give to us what you would have for us because we are needy. Lord, we need you once again. We needed you yesterday and the day before that. We're going to need you again tomorrow. Lord, right now I'm asking you, Spirit of God, to minister to us in a way that transforms us even more so into the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate all those who filled in in our absence. Pastor Vanderhart, thank you. <laughs> Bless his heart. We arrived uh, Friday night, and what was supposed to be a uh, pickup at 1125 in the evening turned out, because we're waiting for baggage and everything, it was like 1215 in the morning before we actually he actually picked us up at the airport. Airport was a zoo. Friday nights, midnight. Where are people? Why are they there? Why are the airports? It was crazy. It was insane. And he picked us up, and we got home, and we got, I'm sure he got home around 1.30 in the morning or something like that, and then he could be back yesterday morning, yesterday morning, 7 o'clock for a prayer meeting, and full day, and then they had a great activity last night, so thank you for all that. And if you start to see him nod off this morning, just understand he's had a rough schedule. I want to share with you, first of all, what John does not include, which surprised me, the others do. For instance, as you open up the book of John, instead of it beginning by talking about the birth of Jesus, like Matthew and Luke do, it, does, it, it doesn't mention the birth. It doesn't talk about that which Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk of as baptism. It does not even refer to it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to the temptations that Jesus endured after 40 days of fasting. Not in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, but not Luke, or not John. Mark and Luke talk about the ascension of Christ, but 
not John. I spent quite a bit of time <coughs> trying to discern what were the reasons, some of the reasons perhaps why John did not include these and why he included other things that the other synoptic gospels did not include. Now my take on this is the birth of Jesus, his baptism, his temptations, his praying in the garden, these were all in his humanity. They were all emphasizing what he did as a human being. And John's gospel emphasizes his deity, the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. And so what John was, was focused on was the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. He understood because the other gospels had already been written before he wrote, uh, wrote his. He understood that people can read Matthew, Mark, and Luke to find out all those particulars. But his mind was on something, but his mind far more important. And that was that Jesus was God. And he wanted the people to whom he was going to minister to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. Doesn't talk about demons being kicked out of people in the book of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do. There were many that were healed from demon possession, but not found in the book of John. But it's interesting that demons are talked about in John, but not as Jesus kicking them out. John chapter 7, verse 20, the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, talking to Jesus, who goeth about to kill thee. John 8, 48, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, to Jesus, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? In John 10, 20, and many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? So John does not record the times that Jesus kicked demons out. John records the times that they accused Jesus of having a demon. John emphasized, however, Jesus' rule over all. In John 3.35, the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. As the God-man, Jesus ruled over the spirit world. John's message was Jesus is God. Of course he can cast out demons. He's God. He doesn't have to spend his time with that because it's an assumed he's God. John 17, 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Interestingly, John does not record the parables that are found in the other Gospels. These are, these are human stories meant to be understood by those with ears to hear and eyes to see. They are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 13, 10, and 11, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. While the other gospels describe salvation as an entrance to heaven, John describes salvation as knowing God and abiding with him. John describes the relationship found in salvation, while the others address the benefits 
of salvation. He left the mysterious gospel, that which is hidden to the unbeliever, to the synoptics. John's gospel provided a look at Jesus as God with man. And even saying that truth, I struggled in my mind to comprehend it. God came and dwelt with man. No wonder man had such a hard time comprehending that. How can the creator of the worlds, the one who spoke and the worlds were created, how can that be seen in the form of this little baby in a manger? How can that be God? That little baby grew up and began teaching. And oh, they were so impressed with his teaching. But how can this be God? God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Jesus came in great power. But he came with a passion to share a close relationship with his followers. When we share Jesus with others, we should present him as more than just a get-out-of-hell card. He is our God, and he longs to be a close friend with us, to share in a close relationship with us. When I got up this morning, like I do practically every morning, I fall on my knees, and I spend time with God. Now, it takes a little bit of time to get the cobwebs out of my mind. It takes a little bit of time for me to understand that I'm really talking to God. But I needed that this morning like I have needed that every morning. And we share a relationship. I pray to him throughout the day. I often pray when I'm driving. I'm in Colorado. <laughs> God, help me as I drive. Little bit, God, help me as I study this passage. God, give me wisdom now as I'm going to deal with this problem. I pray with him through the day, but that's not my only prayer. As I've spent time already first thing in the morning with him, developing a relationship with him. There have been times in my life early on when God was, was, was a catastrophic insurance, meaning I never really spent a whole lot of time with him, but I knew he was there. If a problem arose, I knew I could run to him, but I didn't spend time with him. Though he longs for us to have more than catastrophic insurance. He wants for us to have a personal daily relationship to where we know him. To when something does happen, we have the complete trust to go to him and say, God, remember I spent time with you this morning and, and I loved on you this morning and I know you're a great God. Well, now the world's falling apart from my perspective and I need your help. <laughs> God help. Here's what John's gospel does include that the other ones don't seem to. I've always been impressed with the fact that when, when, when John uh, opens up a topic that Jesus is teaching, oftentimes, instead of it being just a verse or two, it's a whole chapter long. When Jesus gets to talking, John just let him roll. <laughs> oftentimes, for a dissertation, you see a long speech that Jesus gives, or that John gives. For instance, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes and, and there's this long dissertation where Jesus talks to him about being born again. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the new birth is spent almost a whole chapter long in this relationship of Jesus talking in, in John. 
like a woman at the well, the ranges sang. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman and talks about living water. Fill my cup, Lord. In John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus talked for at length about him being the living water. In John 5, 23, we learn that he is the son to be honored. In John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Of course, John chapter 6 is a beautiful, beautiful dissertation on the living bread. John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's the good shepherd. And we see Jesus giving a long speech about being the good shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then he gives a farewell discourse to his disciples. This is mind-boggling, but repeatedly had told them that he was going to have to suffer and die. But he would return. He told them over and over and over. And he did so once again at his last supper with them. If that's the case, then why was it when Jesus went to the cross, they were all forlorn and hopeless because the, their, their Savior is now dead. They didn't get it. But John 13, 33 says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, the farewell discourse. John's gospel is mostly interested in presenting Jesus as the Son of God, a rightful member of the Godhead, who wants to save us from our sins and become our sustainer as we willingly follow Him. In John's gospel, we see more of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He includes a considerable amount of time in which the ministry of Jesus overlaps with the ministry of John the Baptist. In John 3.25, then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And all men come to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease." John's gospel included the transition from John the Baptist's ministry to that of Jesus. John was sent to prepare for Jesus' coming. And then he was to fade back, casting the spotlight on the Son of God. John's testimony, he must increase, but I must decrease. In John's gospel, there's even a different location 
of Jesus' ministry. The other Gospels has Jesus primarily in Galilee, but not in John's Gospel. Jesus was in Jerusalem for a Passover occurring the same time as the cleansing of the temple in John 2.13. He was in Jerusalem at the time of an unnamed feast in John 5.1. He was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication in the wintertime in John 10.22. And according to John's Gospel, he never left Jerusalem after the feast. From chapter 10, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem through the Passover in the spring when he was crucified. John emphasizes the stark contrast between a people blinded by their sin and the light of the world actually dwelling among them. John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. John records what Jesus did before John the Baptist was in prison. The others relay all the events afterwards. In John's Gospel, John tells of the marriage feast at Cana of Galilee. He tells of the coming of Nicodemus to Jesus, of the woman of Samaria, of the raising of Lazarus, of the washing of the disciples' feet, of Jesus' teaching of the Comforter. We learn more about some of the other disciples like conversations of Thomas. Andrew reveals his personality in John. Philip's character is found in John. And Judas' protest at the anointing at Bethany are all found in the Gospel of John. John provides the journey of Jesus in revealing his true identity to his disciples. We are still following that journey today. As he reveals himself to us through his word and in a shared relationship, he wants us by faith to see him for who he really is. He is God in the flesh. So what's the basis for John's point of view? And this is when I really started getting lit up. Understand that John sees things differently than the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why? Why is John so unique? What is so significant about the gospel of John? Well, first of all, John's broader understanding and perspective were due to his extra years. John was likely, first of all, the youngest of the apostles. Most agree he was around 25 years of age when he began following the Lord. He spent much of his time in a supportive role to his elders. They were all older than he was, and those more vocal. John's more, most powerful work was in the writings of Jesus after Jesus, Peter, and Paul had all died. They're off the scene. They're died. They've died. All the other apostles have now died. Paul has died. Now John's the only apostle left. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. John did not write his gospel for anywhere from 15 to 25 years later. So in your mind... Understand what John witnessed. He was there when Jesus prophesied that this temple would be destroyed. It was destroyed, and he saw it destroyed. In 70 A.D., it was destroyed. As the Romans came and obliterated Jerusalem, he understood that. He saw that. And he wrote his gospel around 20 years later. John could offer a perspective none of the other apostles could. 
he saw for himself what the church was becoming as a result of its now explosive growth. The church had been growing for all these years, and John is witnessing to it, and he is seeing it. And all these pastors from all these various places are communicating with him. He's seeing the problems firsthand. He's realizing the growth spurts and the growth pains, the growing pains, as they're making mistakes along the way. And some churches aren't making it. He saw the spiritual attacks by false teachers and sought to defend the teachings of Christ. By now, the church as a whole was no longer a majority Jewish congregation. It was mostly Gentile. John's Gospel was written in Ephesus sometime between 85 and 100 A.D. By then, the Christian church was no longer dominated by saved Jews. John sought, therefore, to make the gospel more accessible to the Greek mind. He wanted the Greeks, the heathens, to understand the gospel. But, in, but, 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 but what had happened so far was it was so rooted in a Jewish tradition concept. Saved Jews who came out of Judaism with all these traditions and understandings of who God is. Well, that was all foreign to the Greeks. So would a Greek have to go and become indoctrinated with all this Jewish culture to get saved? Would they have to understand all the feasts and rituals? Would they have to go to catechisms of Judaism before they can come to know Jesus Christ? And John knew that that was not the truth. But how could John make the gospel more accessible to them? Matthew's gospel was written with a Jewish perspective. It opens with a genealogy. It's very Jewish. And that's not Greek. But all the Jews had to know who they're from. They had to be able to trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. It speaks of a prophesied Messiah. Again, this is an Old Testament concept, meaning very little to the Greek mind. Jesus was the son of David, king of the Jews. So what? These concepts mean so little to the Greek mind. So John sought to rephrase the gospel message. Now understand what I said there. He sought to rephrase it, to make them understand, you don't have to become a Jew to get saved. You don't have to understand all this Jewish tradition to get saved. You have to understand who Jesus Christ is. You need to understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what John was trying to convey to them. John gave a gospel, so the Greeks would not have to learn all that Jewish history and literature before becoming a Christian. The Greek had two basic concepts. The first was the idea of two worlds. The average Greek mind was the fact that they, they had two worlds. There were two coexisting worlds. They lived in what I would call a make-believe world. It was the world in which they lived. It was not real to them. They believed there was a real world, and that was the world out there, the one they could not see. That's the real world. 
What they're living in right now is a facade. It's a temporary pseudo-world, if you will. They believe the one in which we live is a wonderful world, but it's full of shadows and unrealities. They believed in an unseen, real world. The Greek believed that while this was the only a shadowy unreality, there was a reality out there they could not see. These two worlds, the, the world of shadows in which they were presently in, and the one they could not see, were impossibly separated. How can we get from this world to the real one? The problem for the Greek, the Greek was how do you get from the one we can see that we don't believe is real to the one we can't see that we do believe is real? Now, already I'm set this setting up. Boy, John's mind is just whirring now. Whoa, I know the answer. John said, I know the answer. I know how you get to the real, the real world. I know how to do it. Oh, how can I get them to understand this truth? How can I get them to understand that they're, they're, they're right? They're basic truth. They're right. How can I help them along the way so they can know how to get from this world that's a temporary world to the real one? John's gospel explains Jesus' mission was to accomplish that very purpose. Jesus is reality. He is the real God, come from a real heaven, came to provide for man a means of getting from this fallen world to him. These two worlds John connected. He took the unseen real world for the Greek, and he tied it to the scene unreal world. The Greek understanding of the word real is the same as the Bible word true. When the Greek wanted to express that which was real, remember, that which is real to the Greek mind was that which he could not see. There is a real world out there. We call it a spirit world. A real world. We call it a heaven. There's a heaven out there. There's a hell. We can't see it. We know there are spirits. We know there's a God. We can't see them, but we believe they're real there. And they are our real forever. We are here, but for a few years. We are really going to be there forever. So which is the real? Well, what is real is that we're going to be most of the time. So they were on, on the right track here. The... the um, in describing the world to come, he used the same word that our Bible translates true. And it's the Greek word alethanos. Real. True. In their mind, real. The Bible word, true. It's the same thing. The Bible words could be interchanged. Real and true. Now stay with me. I'm going to try to prove a point here in a minute. John attempted to connect with the Greek mind to communicate the truth of the gospel with this word, real and true. The Greek wanted to be able to get to that world, the real world. How do you do it? We don't know how to do it. How can we get there? And John said, I want to show you what's real. We know what's real. Is that what you can't see? Yeah, let me show you how you get there. And the Bible translates that word, true. John 1, 9, that was the true light, the real light. 
that light that came from heaven, the real place. <laughs> that which is real, he calls it true here. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He said in John 6, 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true, the true bread, the real bread from heaven. It's real. It's not unbelieving. It's not full of shadows. It's real. He gave you the true bread from heaven. In John 15, 1, I am the true vine, the real Vine, and my father is the husbandman in John 8 16. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true, it's real. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. John was presenting a truth of a life that was real, of a Jesus that came from that which was real to this temporary world in order to provide for mankind the opportunity to get from this world to that world which is real. Christ's power is real and true. In John's gospel, the miracles were more than just a single event in time. They gave insight into what God is and what He is always doing. The other gospels tended to spend a lot of time on the miracles. John's gospel opens up heaven's realities through the miracle. When Jesus performed a miracle, it wasn't just, wow, look at that. It was, look at this world that he's exposing to us. Look at the miraculous world that he came from. When Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man, it illustrated the truth that he is the light of the world. The miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 illustrated that He is the real bread or the sustainer of life. The raising of Lazarus showed that He is the resurrection and the life. To John, miracles were not isolated events. They were windows into the reality of what Jesus is and always does. Jesus raised somebody of the dead. Whoa, whoa, look at that. Whoa, whoa, look at that. Man, that was cool. Did you see what he did? That was so cool that he did. That's who he is. That's, that's Jesus. He is the miraculous. He is from that world. He is real. And that's his life. He is God. And he just gave us a little sneak peek in the book of John. The first concept the, the Greek has is two worlds. The second concept is what I would call the logos. The logos. <laughs> we were talking about this this morning, but <laughs> for, for years... With a new convert, I would encourage them to go to the book of John and read the book of John because you, you're going to find uh, the truths of the gospel in the book of John and it's going to be encouraging to you. <clears throat> well, I read the book of John one day. <laughs> and I got so confused after the first two verses, I closed the book. <laughs> the first two verses, the book of John, my mind was going around in circles. What are you talking about? In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And I said, what did you say? I expect a new convert to understand that. Until, until, until you understand what the Word is. And when you begin to understand what the Word is, then the whole book of John explodes with truth. And when the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, that Greek word is logos. In the beginning was logos. And here's where it's significant to our study today. The word logos connected with the Greek mind. To the Jewish mind, logos meant word. It meant the word. To the Jew, they understood God spoke. There's your word. And the worlds were created. They understood the concept. The, Jew, or the Greek had a completely different concept. The Greek thought of reason. This is a thought. The word logos meant reason or thought. There's a thought there. So what John did in his gospel, beginning in the very first verse, he took those two concepts to which the Greeks were struggling, and he put them together in one Jesus that answered the problem. And he gave for them a gospel that can be filtered into John 3.16. And a Greek who knows nothing about Judaism could come running to Jesus and put their faith and trust in the one who came and died for their sin, not knowing anything about the feasts, not knowing anything about Judaism, but knowing now everything about Jesus, and they could put their faith and trust in him. That was the purpose that John wrote this amazing gospel. During John's time, all sorts of false teaching had crept up. Gnosticism had become a horrible, horrible threat to Christianity. And as we read the book of John, we see one refutation after another to these false teachings. So John gave us his version of the events of Christ from a much broader perspective than did Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that John is a better gospel. I'm telling you that we have the whole counsel of God and the four gospels all work harmoniously together. And we need Matthew to understand that Jesus is the king. We need each of the gospels to give us the full, complete picture. But until we come to the book of John, I think we're going to understand, struggle understanding a little bit of the full complexity of the nature of our miraculous God who came and dwelt among man. John sought to introduce his readers to God in the form of Jesus Christ, his Son. Jesus came to reveal his heavenly Father to man. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to Look at the Logos, the Word. John was in awe of whom Jesus really was. And John's life had been radically transformed with that knowledge. So as we understand today, that when Jesus left heaven 
and he came in human flesh. <laughs> so special, hold him a grandson this week. This tiny little thing. They said he weighs seven pounds now. A whopper. Seven pounds ain't much. Little tiny thing. Mary got to hold Jesus. Probably about that size. And looked down into his eyes. Developed a relationship with him when he was just a baby. But is there any way possible that Mary could have had a full comprehension that what she was holding in her arms was God? I'm holding in my arms the one that spoke and the worlds were created? Is there any way in the world she could have fully comprehended that truth? And I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say, as I'm preaching it to you right now, I'm still struggling with that full comprehension of who Jesus really is. But he is. And you and I need to be in awe of Jesus. And we need to realize as we study this, the, the, the miracles of Christ, that these miracles were not, okay, now I'm going to be soaking up all this energy, boom, the miracle's done. No, it was, I am miracle. I'm God. I created the worlds in six days, but I could have done it anytime I wanted to. I rested on the seventh day, but I wasn't tired. I rested to show you, you're supposed to rest. I'm God. I'm omnipotent. I'm omniscient. I'm immutable. I'm eternal. And I want to be your friend. So today as we close the book of John, do you know him? Do you know the God that left heaven to live a sinless life and to offer his body on the cross to die for the sins of mankind. Do you know him? The reason he came was to make a provision so that mankind could get from this world to the next. But what was preventing that was the sin, his own sin. Man was a sinner and he could not get to heaven because heaven's perfect. So Jesus came to shed his own blood to pay for the sins of mankind. And the Bible is so simply, and John is so beautifully succinct in teaching us that we must come to Jesus and confess that we are sinners and that we cannot get to heaven in our own. But by trusting Him and Him alone, He will both forgive us our sins and will save us. Is that your testimony today? Do you know for sure that if you died tonight that you go to heaven? If not, you can know that before you leave this room today. But if you are saved, hallelujah, congratulations. My question is the same. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? One of the things I look forward to heaven is getting to know him more. You know, we, we see him now, but we see through a glass darkly now, but then face to face. I can't wait to sit at Jesus' feet. I can't wait to get to know him in that level but I long to know Jesus more deeply today. Do you know him? Do you know our Lord Jesus? He wants to develop a relationship with you. So number one, are you saved? If not, 
take care of that today. Number two, do you know him? Are you on a daily basis getting to know him more and more and more? My wife and I share a beautiful relationship. and I love spending time with her. Getting away was so wonderful, and I loved just sitting on the plane next to her. On a couple of the flights, we had, uh, we had there weren't full, a couple of them weren't full, so, so we could have all three seats just to ourselves, but we sat next to each other. We like to be together. He said, well, you're together all the time. Well, actually, we're not. <laughs> but we love to be together. But, but just imagine, just imagine if, if, if I went for a few weeks at a time and never talked to her, never called her, we just kind of cohabitated, just, just existed for several weeks. Would I have a close relationship with her? Would I even know her? How tragic for us to go days, sometimes weeks or months at a time, without really spending time getting to know Jesus better. He is the God of the miraculous. And he wants to share that amazing, miraculous heart full of love with you if you'll just come to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son to die. I couldn't have done that. I thank you for the love that you showed us in that offering. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness to obey and go to the cross. Thank you for offering to us a means whereby we can go from this world to the next by shedding your blood to pay for our sins. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this audience that does not know you as their personal Savior, if they don't have the assurance to know that if they died today that they'd go to heaven, help them to take care of that today. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you well, oh, they trusted you for salvation, but quite frankly, that's as far as the relationship has gone. Help them this morning to commit to getting to know you better. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I would hate to conclude this time without asking you, do you know 100% for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? John was concerned about that. So John spent a great deal of time trying to figure out how he could take this truth and put it in a form in which they could understand it. And he, and he came out with, if God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know for sure? If not, I'd sure like to pray for you. Nobody's looking around. Would there be anybody in this auditorium that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anyone? Put that hand up so I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know. Please pray for me. Anyone? I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands, but if this morning your heart was pricked and your conscience stirred because you don't know Jesus like you know you should, 
Right now, would you tell them that you're sorry for neglecting the relationship? And would you commit to spending more time with your Savior? He so wants to be your friend. He wants you to get to know Him. Would you commit to Him now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this amazing gospel. I thank you for working in our hearts this morning. Would you continue the work you've begun, and we'll thank you for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.